Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. I am uh, your host for this episode, Jake Mastriani, and with me, as always, is Alan. Hello. And Fred. Hi there. Guys, we are halfway through um, this 2020 season, which is crazy to think about, and the Braves are 18 and 12 and in first place in the NL East, which is even crazier to think about when you consider the injuries that they've had, the major injuries that they've had, the setbacks that they've had in the, the rotation, people underperforming. Um, it's really kind of amazing. They have done as well as they have and are sitting pretty comfortably um, in a playoff position at the moment. I said the other day uh, in our group chat, they're really about 12 more wins away from clinching a, a playoff spot when you consider you probably just have to uh, be a 500 team to make the postseason this year. So, you know, we could be talking magic numbers here pretty soon. But, uh, Alan, I'll kind of kind of start with you. Um, you know, what were your thoughts on the Braves, you know, over the first half of the season and, and where they are now? We have consistently been saying that the schedule has been against the Braves from the start. They had 20 games in a row without a break. They've had the toughest teams in their division divisions, if you want to count the AL East along with that, and yet they've come out ahead. All this despite lack of pitching, injuries, lack of hitting sometimes. I don't know how they're doing it, to be honest, but uh, I am thoroughly impressed. And now they're can actually put it in cruise control after this week. They they face the Phillies and Nationals coming up here, but really the way those teams have been going, um, they're almost, at least in the case of Nationals, they're all, almost discussing whether they need to be sellers a little bit at the deadline here. So they have not been the challenge. So what we've got here is a team that's going to be well-rested coming into the playoffs. There's almost no scenario in which they can't make the playoffs at this point. And I am just very pleased to see what uh, they've been doing here. And now we're uh, looking at a trade deadline where they could even bolster the team some more. We're waiting for other uh, players to come back from injury that uh, would also bolster the lineup. It's been impressive to see over those 30 games, and now we're just looking forward to the rest of the regular season and see what they can do, how far they can go to the playoffs. Yeah, I don't give enough credit to Brian Snicker myself, as I probably should, because a lot of times I don't consider him a great X's and O's guys, but that's not really what his strength is. The strength is that you know he gets the most out of his players because they love playing for him, and I think that's kind of an underappreciated aspect of being a manager, but Fred, I think you'd have to, you know, kind of agree that Snicker's going to done a great job of kind of steering this ship, you know, through a lot of adversity in this first half. I, yeah, I think he's done a lot better than people give him credit for. His bullpen management amazes me sometimes, but on the other hand, 
sometimes some of the times he has to put people out there because he just didn't want to kill anybody. And with the starters being so bad or gone, he was forced to use his pen a lot more than he wanted to. I haven't always, you know, I, I think I understand why he's playing Camargo all the time because he really wants Camargo to find out, remember what 2018 was like. And he doesn't think he's going to get any more out of Charlie Culberson. And I agree with him. Culberson's not going to give him any more. And Hetcheveria may or may not. He's very streaky. So I understand playing, uh, playing Camargo. Uh, all the time. Riley, they're going to play him because they want him to be the guy at some point, and you don't do that by jerking him in and out of the lineup. So we could quibble about little things, but yeah, uh, Snitker's been really pretty good uh, in this compressed season, which is not going to be the easiest thing to manage, and he's done that really well. Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, Fred, I mean, the the NL East has, has helped the Braves out a lot. I mean, they... Uh, really have kind of fallen all over themselves at this point. I mean, Miami is the closest team to the Braves, the only other team in the NL East with a winning record, and they still have a, a negative run differential. The Braves are the only team in the, the East with a positive run differential at this point. So, you know, they've had a lot of help from other teams in the division as well, just flat out being terrible. Yeah, the the, Mar- the Marlins have eight games in hand, too. They have eight, eight more games to make up to to catch up. So that could change over that period. But nobody told the Marlins they couldn't win, I think. And, and when you get young players like that, they do go out and do things nobody told them they couldn't do. So uh, I, I, I'm glad for the kids that are there. They're doing well. I just um, hope they don't keep it up too long. <laughs> right. But, again, this is the the problem with the, the schedule for a lot of these guys. They've got games to make up, no games to, to be off, other than maybe getting a few doubleheaders in there to just sort of buy a day off here and there. The Braves got days off like crazy. They don't have any doubleheader schedule that I'm aware of, and they're going to be well-rested, and everybody else is going to be fatigued. I mean, that's just the way it's gone. The Braves have not had a single game uh, postponed or delayed by COVID-19 or anything else uh, going on uh, to this point, and other than rain. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're really poised to take advantage of, of the schedule. Yeah, I'm going to need you to knock on you know some wood or something, Alan, that whatever's around you. I have a nice uh, oak desk in front of me I can bring on. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. I mean, they have been, you know, fortunate, even though they've had guys, obviously, to start the season, they had uh, several guys who had tested positive, and then they had the situation with Marcakis the other week where he didn't test positive, but he came in contact with somebody um, and was, was wise enough to kind of remove himself from the situation um, so that the Braves didn't, you know, run into that, that issue, you know, where they had to stop play, which, you know, right now it seems like the you know, the way MLB is handling it is you have a positive test or a couple positive tests, then you're probably not going to play for at least three or four days. And, you know, that can really take a team out of rhythm. So, yeah, the Braves have been fortunate not to, to have much of that. But, Alan, you know, which team, if any, do you kind of fear the most as we go into the second half of the season, you know, in the NL East to, to challenge the Braves? Well, you got to say the only one that might – do it is the Marlins because they've the, they're the ones that still have the most pitching available because I think that's the thing that's driving the the teams that are hanging around and and or excelling. Uh, the Braves have been able to do it simply because they've got enough offense to to overcome things and a great bullpen. But obviously we've had some struggles with starting pitching. 
the Marlins haven't really had that, but their their difficulty has been on the offensive side. Still, it's been enough to beat up on the Phillies, Mets, and Nationals for them, and that's all it takes right now, given the struggles the other teams have had. So, really, I don't expect a challenge, but I think that if the Marlins are going to continue to hang around, they're going to present the most challenge, I suppose. Uh, the good news is you don't have to beat them 15 out of 19 times like they did last year anymore. You, you only have to sort of play 500 against them, and that'll, that'll be quite enough, considering the woes of the rest of the division. Yeah, I'm a believer in that, that pitching staff. I think they are um, pretty good. I, I mean, I wouldn't call it elite, but I think they are. Yeah, they do have a really good um, deep pitching staff with some young pitchers it'll be it would be really interesting if that next to last series for the Braves they play four against the Marlins if that's what it kind of came down to I don't think anybody would have seen that coming but but yeah I mean it, you know at this point it's really hard to imagine anybody else kind of threatening the Braves at this point in the NL East we're kind of just picking up with some Braves news from the past week you know we were joking before the Braves really don't play much anymore they, they were off um, three days this week without a game. Uh, had the doubleheader on on Wednesday where they swept the Yankees, and uh, in that we had the return of uh, Ronald Acuna from the injured list. We had uh, Nick Markakis come back, you know, as he set out for um, COVID reasons, and then we had the debut of Ian Anderson. And we talked on here, I think last time, if not, I know we've talked about it on here several times before that. We thought Tucker Davidson should have got the call. I still think he should should have gotten the call at some point already. Uh, but the Braves, you know, decided to go with with Ian Anderson. You know, somebody who you know is obviously a, a more highly touted prospect, but somebody who struggled a little bit coming up to Triple A last year. Granted, that was in a, a very small sample size, and he had been really good at Double A. But uh, and you know, this is where. We can't really see what's going down at that training site. We don't know how how well these players are progressing, but uh, apparently the Braves were impressed enough with what Anderson was doing down there to give him the nod um, against the Yankees on Wednesday, and he was quite impressive. Uh, had a no-hitter going through five and a third, gave up just one hit through six innings, struck out six, I believe, and uh, was just really impressive. Uh, the changeup, you know, I thought he threw was just – you know, had the, the Yankees hitters off, off balance. They were taking pitches down the middle like they just had no clue what was coming. So I, I thought that was really big for the Braves. You know, Fred, what were your overall thoughts on Anderson's um, debut? I, I was really impressed with his composure more than anything else. I mean, the changeup was, was really a nasty pitch, and he located everything really well. I, he had that one that got away from him. And everybody tried to make something out of that, or at least on Twitter they did. But really, that was, you know, that was one that slipped, and that happens uh, when you're throwing a lot of pitches like that. His composure was the strong point for me. His pitches were really good. Honestly, it wasn't the best Yankee lineup. And the other thing was they had never seen the kid before. They had no video of him. They didn't know anything about him. And any time you do that, the starting pitcher has an advantage. On the other hand, he made his pitches. He didn't panic. When he got runners on base, it didn't bother him. When the ball went over the wall, he said, Bill, home runs happen, let me pitch. So I think his mentality was the strongest point for me, and I think his pitches were good too. And Dan Flowers did a good job calling uh, his, the game for him, or at least receiving for him in the game. Uh, and 
I think that that's important that you have somebody back there who you can depend on. Anderson said he depended upon Flowers, and Flowers didn't let him down, so that's a good thing, too. It's not going to be easy the second and third time he sees the sees them, but by then he should have more confidence, not more confidence, but more certainty about what he can and what he can't do out there. Uh, I, I caution everybody to be careful that they don't overestimate him. He is not the second coming of Cy Young, but he's a really good young pitcher, and for the next few years uh, the, the rotation looks really good with the those three guys in it at the top, uh, Soroka, Freed, and, and Anderson. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what I, I wrote today on Thursday, you know, following Anderson's start. I thought it was really impressive. Uh, you know, obviously not the best Yankees lineup, and like you said, they didn't have much video on him. But what, you know, impressed me the most is the fact that he attacked hitters. I think he threw first pitch strikes to 18 of 21 batters he faced, something like that. He really just trusted his stuff, and I think we talked about it Last week as well, you know, I think the biggest problem I see with these young Braves pitching prospects coming up is is in between the ears. I just, I don't think they trust their stuff enough when they get up here. And that was something you could definitely tell with Anderson. He he acted like he belonged. He carried himself like he belonged, and he wasn't afraid, and he was just going to trust his stuff to get hitters out. And so that was, again, like you said, Fred, that was the most encouraging thing to me um, is just to see his maturity level out there to see him just trust his ability and like you said teams are going to adjust to him they, they've seen him now they have video of him you know he, he does just throw the three pitches even though they were all very good and if you can throw three pitches and you can lo- locate him and they're all on that day you're gonna have days like Ian Anderson did on Wednesday but um, teams will will adjust to him um, but I still think he's going to be a very solid pitcher for the Braves for a long time Alan any any other thing thoughts on that Anderson managed to get through the adrenaline rush innings, uh, those where he's really hyped up and it's you know, part of his first time and stuff. I mean, he was throwing above his head a little bit uh, on, on fastballs, velocity, first inning, ticked down a notch, second inning, ticked down another notch, third inning. That the third inning and beyond is roughly, I think, where he, he normally sits, around 93, 94 that was good to see that he was able to maintain once that sort of initial rush of adrenaline wore off or he, he settled in. Either way, you want to look at it. On top of that, the Yankees still weren't able to get at him. Uh, it, it wasn't like, okay, now it's slower coming out of his hand and we're going to hit him. Well, no, they didn't because he was still locating. He was still mixing his pitches well. He was going in and out, up and down very well. And all of that tells me that uh, they had a good plan and they executed the plan. And he was under control of himself to be able to execute the plan. That was the most impressive thing I could uh, think of is that you, you get on a stage like that, you're playing against the Yankees, light lineup or not, it's still that name. And, oh, by the way, Garrett Cole's on the other side of the mound uh, with you there today. So it, it was wild to see that not only the Braves' offense got to Cole, but Anderson shut down their, the Yankee offense. So, yeah, I was just thoroughly impressed. Now what we need to do is get Tucker Davidson in there as as the fourth guy. So yeah. <laughs> if, if we do that, I think they'll be all right for the rest of the uh, the regular season at least and and have a backup plan in case they can't do those three or if there's a trade that's not made in the next couple of days to, to get somebody in here to help. 
Yeah, because even with Anderson, I think the Braves are still short of two or three starters. So, um, you know, uh, I think there's definitely room for Davidson to get a to get a call at some point as well. But going back to the the game on Wednesday and uh, you know Garrett Cole on the mound for the Yankees, you know what a way for Ronald Acuna to <laughs> introduce himself back to the lineup. He takes 97, you know, near the chin, hits the hits the dirt. Uh, comes back, works a 3-2 count, and then hits a bomb 473 feet. Um, you know, what a way to kind of reintroduce yourself, um, like I said, and, and, you know, come back with a bang. Yeah, he got around on that pitch, too. That was not, like, middle in. That was outside corner. Um, it was a, probably a strike, especially the way those pitches were being called that day. But, um I mean, he, he got around on that thing like he knew it was coming, and he may have. I mean, <laughs> you know, Garrett Cole's a fastball pitcher. He doesn't walk anybody, so he probably had an inkling that it was going to be within the strike zone regardless, but he, he definitely got around on that. I was just happy to see that uh, Acuna got one more day off on Tuesday before he uh, came back in. I, I hate to see these guys rush, especially with these wrist injuries, but, boy, he sure didn't look like he was hurt at all. Yeah, and Fred, that kind of brings us to to Ozzy, and I know you mentioned the other day you're kind of concerned about him uh, with that wrist injury still not being back, and we really haven't been given you know much of an update. I heard somebody asking it about about it after the after the game, and he started to say, you know, I can't expect him to be out too much longer, but he stopped after the about and kind of changed his answer. But you know, it sounds like he he expects Ozzy to to kind of be back soon, but. You know, it is kind of worrisome with that wrist. Yeah, I think they, first of all, I think they let him play too long with the wrist sore. He was clearly hurt because he, his swings, okay, he's he's worse from one side of the plate than he is from other, but his swings didn't really look good a lot of the time, and that has to be related to the wrist. My concern is that I don't, I don't care if he plays again this season, as long as from next season on he's 100% in that wrist. Uh, I know that's a little strange, and you know Camargo wasn't hitting, but I want Ozzy to be there for a long time because he's a he's an exciting, powerful, energetic player who who uh, whose presence on the field makes everybody better. And uh, I I just you know I wrist injuries. Uh, Mark Teixeira left the game early, left the left his career early because of the wrist. Rosa had that wrist injury. He was out. When Freddie's wrist hurt, he was was out. Uh, wrist injuries affect your uh, affect the swing, and there's so much moving in the wrist. There's not much you can do with it. I blew mine up a couple of years ago, and I can tell you that when they put it back together, it doesn't work nearly as good as it did before. Um, so I'm worried about Ozzy. Um, I was interested in Cole, who said after the game, "Well, they told me these guys like to swing early in the count." And so I threw off speed early in the count, and they let him go. And then when I threw the fastball, uh, they nailed it. And then when I thought they were going to hit the fastball, I threw I threw the threw the curve, and they nailed that too. So they did everything. Basically, the the team was set up to uh, bat counter to their scouting report. When Cole expected to be able to throw him a breaking ball, they nailed it. When he expected to throw him a fastball, they, they waited him out. Uh, they knew who was in trouble when he was struggling to find the plate. Uh, Ronnie's a good example of that because, like you said, he's a first ball, fastball, here it comes, let me swing at it, hitter. And he didn't do that. He waited deep into the account, and then he took that pitch, which I thought was off the plate a little bit. 
And he got around on it so hard and so quick that he pulled to left center field and sent it way out of there. So uh, I think that set the tone for the whole day. Having him back makes the whole team better. And uh, to see Swanson hit the oppo home run uh, and Ozuna hit the oppo home run off of rolling sliders uh, was really a good thing. You could see Cole getting deflated because nothing he did was working, and the Braves kept the pressure on him. Uh, and that starts at the top of the lineup and goes right the way through it. So as long as that happens, we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, and that's big because, you know, obviously come postseason time, you're going to be facing guys like, maybe not quite like Cole, but you're going to be facing, you know, top of the rotation pitchers um, a lot. So it's good to see that our hitters are kind of able to make those adjustments and have those good at-bats even against top flight pitchers because, I mean, to be honest, when we started the season, we were seeing, you know, Jacob DeGrom twice a week. Uh, you know, I had my concerns when we're striking out 14, 15 times a game, but and they still struck out a lot against Cole, but, you know, for the most part, they had a, a lot of good at-bats, so that was very encouraging to see. So let's move into the uh, trade portion of this podcast where, where we'll probably spend the majority of our time because as we record this on Thursday night, uh, we're just a couple of days away from the trade deadline, just uh, four days away from the trade deadline. And, you know, Alan usually able, is able to get these edited and out by Saturday morning. So even by I then, better hurry, I better hurry this time. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Things could change. <laughs> even by then, uh, you know, we may have a little bit more information and we'll be even closer to that that deadline next monday you know to be quite honest and it's to be expected we haven't really heard much there's not many rumors going on which with the braves you never really hear anything anyway with with anthopolis there so that's not much of a surprise so you know most of what we talk about here you know obviously is is going to be speculation obviously the main area of concern for the braves is starting pitching I think that's where, you know, Anthopolis focus, you know, probably is and needs to be, you know, perhaps they could look for, for somebody at third base, but I have a feeling they're going to let Riley kind of ride it out, especially since he has shown some improvement over the past week or so. That's kind of what I hope they do. Uh, I'd like to see Riley just be there every day for the rest of the year and, and see what happens. You know, we talked about Ozzy and, you know, if the severity of that wrist is bad, perhaps they go out and look for somebody that can, Feel in at, at second base. Obviously, you have Hetchveria, um, you have Camargo, which feelings have kind of been known on Camargo at this point. But um, you know, maybe they go out and look for somebody to to back up Ozzy there in case they don't feel like he'll be able to come back healthy. But Fred, I'll, I'll go to you first. What are some areas, I guess, for the Braves? Uh, if you could kind of you know rank them that they should be looking at the the trade deadline to improve upon. Obviously, our bullpen's really good. So I'm not worried about the bullpen. Freddie's going to be there at first base. We've got Adams on the roster, so I'm not worried too much about that. The outfield seems pretty well set now that uh, Markakis is back. And the way it is, I'm, you know, I really wish uh, we had someone a little faster out there sometimes. You know, we've got Ender on the bench for, for late inning stuff like that. Clearly, the, the the holes in the order come in the in the bottom end of the order where you had uh, Camargo hitting uh, and you have Riley hitting. And uh, Riley is still striking out at about 32%. So that's not good. And that's a hole in the lineup. Now, the Braves may well let that ride. 
Um, they do. Uh, I've said this before. The Braves want him to be the third baseman of the future. Um, and if there's no no easy answer out there, uh, they're probably going to let that ride with him because I don't think there's I don't think there's anyone else out there that's going to give us anything uh, significant for it. People talk about Frazier and and all these other guys, and I just don't see that happening. The best answer for me is still Kyle Seager. I noticed that uh, um, Mark DeRosa said that this morning on on MLB Central that he thought Seager was needed. Um, he wanted to trade Riley. I don't want to trade Riley. I want to put Riley out there and let let him be the left fielder behind Seager and and do sort of swap it out like uh, like like Chipper did for a while to learn to play third base better and learn to hit better and give him time to settle into that location. And when Seager moves on, you move him in there. But again. I don't know that that's even on on Alex's radar. Camargo, boy, uh, I made a suggestion in the trade today that was certainly overpriced. Everybody who says that, yes, I paid too much, I know. But I'd sure like to have Donovan Solano on the bench because he plays second and short, and he's uh, he's got an OPS about like 8, 885 or something right now, uh, which is something that we haven't seen out of uh, Camargo recently. So, you know, maybe you pick up somebody like that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Plesak is the guy I would look for from Cleveland because I don't think they're trading Clevenger. Maybe you pick up somebody else like uh, Williams from, from Pittsburgh, who, like as you said the other day, isn't impressing a lot of people right now. But I don't know that uh, the market is really thick enough to be going for with Walker gone and, and others moving around and players getting injured, uh, uh, Merrill Kelly getting injured out of, uh, out of Colorado. Uh, I just don't know out of Arizona, rather. Unless somebody comes up, uh, unless the the Rockies continue to sink like a rock and decide they want to trade somebody, I don't know where you go for a pitcher that uh, we would consider a, a, a significant improvement. Yeah, and Alan, I think that's the biggest hurdle or, or issue, or maybe it's not even an issue, but just trying to figure out trade partners in this whole tr- trade deadline because, and it may have changed today. I know the other day when I looked, you know, Every National League team other than the Pirates was in five games of a, a playoff spot. So everybody pretty much still has a, a chance at the postseason right now. So I don't know how many teams we're going to have selling. And then even, you know, the teams that are selling, you know, what are they really going to be willing to, to give up? You know, it's, it's such a, such a weird season. You know, there's really not even that many big names out there that are going to make that much of a difference you know there's not the 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 Zach Greinke's out there although maybe he could be out there but like last off season there's not the the Justin Verlanders from a couple seasons ago that that are out there but there's just not that many big names out there that seem to be available that are going to make a a big difference and then even then you know again what are teams going to be willing to pay to go forward in this season so I think that really makes this trade deadline unique and as a fan and as somebody trying to to write about this stuff kind of frustrating because you know you really have no clue which way the the market's going to go so that's why we've pretty much just been writing about every every possible trade candidate (laughs) out there just throwing darts hoping we we hit on something but you know what are your kind of overall thoughts on the the deadline yeah i've been sort of going after trying to figure out who the partners are going to be, the, the teams that would be involved. And in the last couple of days, a, a couple have emerged that people hadn't thought about uh, even being a possibility until the last week. That's the Reds and the Diamondbacks. But then I look at them and it's like, okay, who do you want? And they really don't have much. Uh, the Reds have Trevor Bauer. The Diamondbacks 
really don't have anybody who they'd be willing to give up that's pitching well or hitting well. And that's, well, that's why they're in the state of things that they're in. Right now, as we see, sit here today, the Pirates are the worst team in the National League. The next closest to them are, believe it or not, the Nationals tied with the Diamondbacks. Uh, both four games out of the wild card right now. I don't think the Nationals are going to be a trade partner. Number one, they're not going to try and help out the Braves. Number two, they're not certainly not going to give them any give us anything that uh, uh, would be controllable past this year because that doesn't help them. Uh, you go up to the Reds, like say all all you got is Trevor Bauer. I think he's going to be in high demand. The New York Mets. The uh, very reason that they're in that, uh, I'm, I'm continuing to go up the, the standings here. They're still close at two and a half games out of the wild card, but the reason they're in the state that they're in is because they can't hit and because all their pitching is falling apart as well. The, about the only guy they've got is Jacob deGrom, it seems at this point. So, uh, I mean, that's not going to change anything. So, uh, now you switch over to the American League. You got the Angels. They never had pitching to begin with. The Boston Red Sox. We don't really want to evaluate, do we? Uh, the Texas Rangers. Lance Lynn is going to be very expensive. They don't even have to trade him. Uh, Kansas City Royals. Well, Danny Duffy just got hurt. Uh, the Seattle Mariners. Well, there's the one bright spot maybe if you can figure out how to uh, pry Marco Gonzalez uh, away from them. I don't think you're going to because <laughs> he just signed a long-term deal with them. Would Seattle be better off without him and getting some prospects in return? Well, perhaps. Detroit is the next team there. They're five games out of the wild card, and their pitching has been falling apart as well. Matthew Boyd has had moments of brilliance, but uh, his ERA is still hanging around eight. So, I mean, I go down that list, and I can't find anything to do for Atlanta, uh, except maybe hope against hope that Cole Hamels is going to be healthy again. I, it, it's a weird situation because you've got so many teams with so many problems with pitching. Honestly, if the Braves can line up with Freed and then Anderson continues to pitch well, and then they they find somebody else, that might be a good enough uh line up for the the postseason. You, you you tend to want three guys who can uh, go out there and give you some innings and give you some length there, but that may be all that you need. But where are you going to find the third one? I don't know right now. Yeah, who knows? They will play seven-inning doubleheaders in the postseason because the Braves seem to be pretty good at those, and then you don't need as much pitching. So, And uh, besides what you're going to have for all these teams in, in these bubble uh, stadiums, and you're going to you know, get them all scheduled, so you might have to shorten the games to get them all in, right? Right. <laughs> um, but I think this is kind of where we ended the discussion last week as well, is that mm-hmm. there's really not that difference maker out there. I, I think Bauer is the only one that could be available, but the Reds are, are still so close to a, a playoff spot, and they made a lot of moves to try to – be in the postseason this year I just have a hard time believing that they're just gonna um you know pack it in I I think they're gonna I think they're gonna try and and just ride it out and see what happens and again I think you know where we ended last week is it's more so about just getting some bodies in there somebody that's going to consistently give you innings and I really think that's that's all the Braves are going to to get 
if there is somebody like a Bauer or a Lynn that's available, you know, like you kind of said, Alan, I think their price is going to be very significant um, and something that Alex probably isn't going to be willing to pay. Um, and that's not a knock on Alex that he's done a, you know, a great job of, of making moves without, you know, hurting the, the future. But that's, you know, that's just kind of the, the way I see things playing out. Fred, any other thoughts on that or any other names out well, there that have come up? I know you mentioned, you know, Matt, Matt's is a possibility. We kind of joked last time, you know, he, he kills the Braves. Maybe we get him on, a, on our team. He can help us out, but. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I really, I think the Mets, if, I think Van Wagen had to move him right now just because he needs to do something. Uh, and I, I would certainly like to have him. I'm not sure I'd trust him this year until he's had a chance to work out. But, you know, uh, we, we had Newcomb down there and we tried him and Matt's really couldn't be much worse than that happened. Uh, I was thinking, what happens to the Rockies if they sink like a rock? Which they have been, by the way. I mean, they, they beat Arizona, but, uh, everybody's been beating Arizona, so, um, it, would they trade John Gray for a couple of pitchers since he's only got one more arm year left? If you had the chance to get a John Gray, would you take it? I certainly think Gray is worth it. I don't know what they what the ask would be, but I've watched the Rockies and they don't seem like to me they're. I mean, I know they're like in the last spot or something right now, but I don't think they're going to hang on. And I if they if they get to the weekend and they say, you know, this might not work. And they offered up John Gray. Uh, I think I would uh, land on that with both feet. Uh, but other than that, um, and of course, I went for the police act thing today. And yes, I overpaid for him. I know. Uh, I've read the I've read the comments, and you're probably right. But uh, I don't know. Like Alan said, who's who have you got out there that's any good uh, on the teams that aren't going to make it? They aren't going to make it because they aren't having. They don't have much good pitching. And if they don't have good pitching, what do we want with it? Would you like the conspiracy theory here? If the Rockies really were trying to get Nolan Arenado to opt out of his contract, oh, by the way, they were the ones to remind everybody, they were the ones who put that clause in there. They uh, didn't have to wait for Arenado to ask for one. They, they basically gave it to him. I think they really want him to leave because they don't really want to pay him all that money. What would help the Rockies get him to do that, except maybe selling the team around him, including John Gray and others. I don't think he's that. I don't think they're going to sell the team around him. I think they'd like to get out front of the contract. Don't get me wrong. I think they put that off out in there, hoping that he would take it. I, I know that's sort of a backhanded way to do it, but when a player doesn't ask for one and you insist he take it, uh, you want him to take it. Now, right. uh, I, I, and I, that's, that's nice. And if in the off season they want to trade him to us, I'll take him. Thank you very much. But, um, aside from him, they need everybody else. But the point about Gray is that they, they need pitching and Gray's got one more year and then he's gone leave there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so and, take back some of value now and go ahead and, and get something for him. And especially oh, by the market. way, yeah, especially this market. And oh, by the way, that might help. Uh, convinced Arenado to go ahead and chuck it despite the market because I'm not sure that he's going to get uh, all that contract uh, the way things are right now. Uh, I don't think he's going to get that necessarily elsewhere, but he will find a chance to win if he wants to do that. But they they may need to push him a little bit, and that's where my conspiracy uh, theory goes. And by the way, I said Gonzalez was 29, and he will be in February. So yeah. 
Okay, so I didn't try to tell you he was thirty. I said twenty nine. <laughs> I uh, rounded, but, but I still, I think, I still think though, if he's twenty nine and you're counting to pay him through at least thirty five uh, or thirty four, thirty five, that's a long time. Uh, and he was, he's not a, uh, a, he's a middle of the rotation guy. When they get to thirty four, thirty five, they, you know, uh, I just think they'd move him uh, because of Jerry Depoto, uh, first off. And he's only made one trade, and you know he's got to be Jones and for more. But that may be. Uh, Dan O'Dowd, Dan O'Dowd said this morning that you know he really ought to move everybody he can move. Um, and uh, so I don't know, uh, but I thought I've always thought Gonzalez was a choice, it was a chance, um, but uh, I don't know. You're right that Gonzalez is probably a middle of the rotation kind of guy, but he's paid like a guy in the back of the rotation. Really, it's four years, thirty million bucks, uh, starting in twenty one. So that's true. Uh, yes. That right. He is cheap, and and he, he's well positioned for anybody who wants to get him to get uh, Seattle back some interesting uh, prospects, perhaps. So, so in fact, his contract maxes out at fifteen million. That's the option for twenty twenty five during his age thirty three season. So, really, that's very very reasonable. Uh, great contract for Seattle. Uh, they can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. So, as you can see, we. It's really hard to tell what's going to happen at this at this deadline. I, we all ended last week saying, you know, and Alex will make at least one trade. You know, here we are a week later, and doesn't feel like we're any closer to that. But you know, I also think it's going to come down to the wire, just because there are so many teams that are still in it. I mean, we keep talking about the Rockies being a possible seller. They're they have a winning record and are a half game out of a a postseason spot. Um, but you know, they lose three out of four to the Potters this weekend and you know maybe um maybe next thing you know they're they're sellers so that's just how quickly things are kind of changing in this weird short 2020 season and the Rockies are kind of hanging on the edge anyhow they yeah they did sweep Arizona but every one of those games was a one-run game and besides those three they've lost seven uh before that in a row so yeah don't don't count on them making a run here. I, I, I would think they they go south a lot faster than they go north. Especially as I, I have this feeling that Colorado's never going to actually outright win anything in Colorado just because of where they play. You know, there's there's so much against them in that playing in that place that it's really really hard to do that. I, you know, I, I think I think they want to lose some payroll. And like Alan says, and I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think they put that in there hoping that he would take the opt out. And if, they, if Gray makes him do that, they'd be happy to trade him just because they're going to need pitching anyway. All right, there. Like I said, hopefully we'll see some movement over the over the weekend, and you know, obviously pay attention to the to the site as we'll be updating you on that. But uh, before we get out of here, Fred, you got anything else um, you wanted uh, to mention? No, I'm just I'm hoping that we've seen the last of the COVID shutdowns. I'm hoping that we've seen the last of the big rain delays because. You know, as much as I'd like to win this thing, I really don't want to see teams playing uh, double hitters on three straight days to get the games in. I just want everybody to to stay healthy and and have a good rest of the season, so we can all say that we earned something this year. Yeah, and uh, you know, we I guess uh, I think Alan mentioned it. We didn't really touch on it, but they are talking about the idea of doing a playoff bubble, which I know we've discussed before, is something that makes a a lot of sense. Uh, to try to limit the exposure uh, to COVID to make sure that we get the postseason games in because, like I said, you know, right now the 
the protocol is if a team has an outbreak that they don't play for three or four days, and you can't do that in the postseason. So they got to figure something out so that um, that doesn't happen uh, during the playoffs. Uh, it sounds like they are uh, trending towards doing a, a bubble type with one uh, bubble for the American League and one bubble for the National League, uh, and then then uh, obviously meeting for one at one of the locations for the World Series. But Alan, do you have any any thoughts on that or anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I'm under quarantine right now because somebody in the building I work on my day job was exposed last week and I had my first COVID test on when was it Tuesday I guess I feel for these ball players I would not want to have that done every day or every other day uh, that that's just kind of really uncomfortable <laughs> so uh, I think that it's admirable what they're doing and I like Fred I do hope that they can all stay safe and Maybe with a bubble system, they, they might be able to relax some of the testing a little bit because they would uh, not ha- be exposed as much, at least, to external influences and such. So other than that, let's see if we can get this second half of the season done a lot better than we did the first. The first was, to some extent, a dry run, I guess, uh, and we've seen all the bad things that are going to happen. And unfortunately, a lot of it's been injuries and, and season-ending injuries for for a lot of these guys, especially the pitching for a lot of teams. So let's see if we can get everybody uh, patched up healthy and, and playing some ball so we can get all this done. And- yeah, no, that's a good point you bring up. I mean, you know, we as fans, we sit back and enjoy this as, as entertainment. Um, but I really do appreciate, you know, the players and all that they have gone through to give us this entertainment at a time where we, you know, desperately kind of need it as we're all kind of still quarantined and, and working our way back into society a little bit. Really do appreciate what the players are trying to or, or are going through uh, in order to give us a, a product on the field. And by um, the way, I was negative, so you guys are safe today. Okay. I was going to say, are we placing you on the COVID IL or, or are you good? Yeah, we're or? good. <laughs> okay. That's good. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's affecting everybody. I, you know, I've, I've had family that have been exposed to it and we've had to stay quarantined for a while. It's just kind of part of, part of the, the situation we're living in right now. But that'll do it for, uh, this edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast. We appreciate uh, everyone tuning in to listen again make sure you check out the site tomahawktake.com we'll be giving you uh, kind of our trade t- targets for the deadline coming up and then obviously we'll be keeping you informed on any trade news uh, that comes out uh, over the next couple of days so with that we appreciate it and we'll talk to you next time this non-prophetic trade deadline edition of the tomahawk take podcast has been a production of tomahawktake.com and fansided llc a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are those of the participants alone. All rights reserved. One of the musical selections used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. This was a piece by Kevin McLeod entitled Fretless. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. All other selections used today come via rights purchased by TomahawkTech.com. Hey, thanks for listening, and may all of your deadlines be met early. See you next inning.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.